Section 11 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the bird catchers who are street sellers. The street sellers of birds are called by themselves hawkers, and sometimes bird hawkers. Among the bird catchers, I did not hear of any very prominent characters at present. Three of the best known and most prominent having died within these ten months. I found, among all I saw, the vagrant characteristics I have mentioned, and often united with a quietness of speech and manner, which might surprise those who do not know that any pursuit which entails frequent silence, watchfulness, and solitude, forms such manners. Perhaps the man most talked of by his fellow labourers was old Gillam, who died lately. Gillam was his real name, for among the bird-catchers there is not that prevalence of nicknames which I found among the costermongers and patterers. One reason, no doubt, is that these bird-folk do not meet regularly in the markets. It is rarely, however, that they know each other's surnames, old Gillam being an exception. It is old Tom, or young Mick, or Jack, or Dick among them. I heard of no John or Richard. For sixty years, almost without intermission, old Gillam caught birds. I am assured that to state that his catch, during this long period, averaged one hundred a week, hens included, is within the mark, for he was a most indefatigable man. Even at that computation, however, he would have been the captor in his lifetime of three hundred and twelve thousand birds. A bird-catcher who used sometimes to start in the morning with old Gillam and walk with him until their roads diverged, told me that of late years the old man's talk was a good deal of where he had captured his birds in the old times. "'Why, Ned,' he would say to me, proceeded his companion, "'I've catched goldfinches in lots at Chalk Farm, and all where there's that railway smoke and noise, just by the hill,' note Primrose Hill, end note. "'I can't think where they'll drive all those birds to by and by.' I dare say the first time the birds saw a railway with its smoke and noise to frighten them, and all the fire too, they just thought it was the devil was come. He wasn't a fool, wasn't old Gillam, sir. Why, he'd go on for to say, I've laid many a day at Ball's Pond there, where it's nothing but a lot of houses now, and catched hundreds of birds. And I've catched them where there's all them grand squares, Pimlico Way, and in Britannia Fields, and at White Condy. What with all these buildings and them barbers, I don't know what the bird trade'll come to. It's hard for a poor man to have to go to Finchley for birds that he could have catched at Holloway once. But people never thinks of that. When I were young, I could make three times as much as I do now. I've got a pound for a good sound chaffinch as I brought up myself. Ah, poor old Gillam, sir. I wish you could have seen him. He'd have told you of some queer changes in his time. A shopkeeper informed me that a bird-catcher had talked to him of even queerer changes. This man died eight or ten years ago, at an advanced age, but beyond the fact of his offering birds occasionally at my informant's shop, where he was known merely as the old man, he could tell me nothing of the ancient bird-catcher, except that he was very fond of a talk, and used to tell how he had catched birds between fifty and sixty years ago, and had often, when a lad, catched them where many a dock in London now stands. 
where there's many a big shop now in deep water i've catched flocks of birds i never catched birds to be sure at them docks he would add as was dug out of the houses why master you'll remember they're pulling down st catherine's church and all them rummy streets the t'other side of the tower for a dock as i find that the first dock constructed on the north side of the thames the west india dock was not commenced until the year eighteen hundred there seems no reason to discredit the bird-catcher's statement among other classes of street sellers i have had to remark the little observation they extended to the changes all around such as the extension of street traffic to miles and miles of suburbs unknown till recently two thousand miles of houses have been built in london within the last twenty years but with the bird-catchers this want of observance is not so marked of necessity they must notice the changes which have added to the fatigues and difficulties of their calling by compelling them literally to go further afield a young man rather tall and evidently active but very thin gave me the following account his manners were quiet and his voice low his dress could not so well be called mean as hard-worn with the unmistakable look of much of the attire of his class that it was not made for the wearer his surtout for instance which was fastened in front by two buttons reached down to his ankles and could have enclosed a bigger man he resided in st luke's in which parish there are more bird-catchers living than in any other the furniture of his room was very simple a heavy old sofa in the well of which was a bed a table two chairs a fender a small closet containing a few pots and tins and some twenty empty bird-cages of different sizes hung against the walls in a sort of wooden loft which had originally been constructed he believed for the breeding of fancy pigeons and which was erected on the roof were about a dozen or two of cages some old and broken and in them a few live goldfinches which hopped about very merrily they were all this year's birds and my informant who had a little connection of his own was rearing them in hopes they would turn out good specks quite birds beyond the run of the streets the place and the cages each bird having its own little cage were very clean but at the time of my visit the loft was exceedingly hot as the day was one of the sultriest lest this heat should prove too great for the finches the timbers on all sides were well wetted and re-wetted at intervals for about an hour at noon at which time only was the sun full on the loft i shall soon have more birds sir he said but you see i only put aside here such as are the very best of the take all cocks of course oh i've been in the trade all my life i've had a turn at other things certainly but this life suits me best i think because i have my health best in it my father he's been dead a goodish bit was a bird-catcher as well and he used to take me out with him as soon as i was strong enough when i was about ten i suppose i don't remember my mother father was brought up to brick-making i believe that most of the bird-catchers that have been trades and that's not half a quarter perhaps were brick-makers or something that way well i don't know the reason the brick-making was in my father's young days carried on more in the country and the bird-catchers used to fall in with the brick-makers and so perhaps that led to it 
I've heard my father tell of an old soldier that had been discharged with a pension, being the luckiest bird-catcher he knowed. The soldier was a catcher before he was listed, and he listed drunk. I once, I dare say that's fifteen year back, for I was quite a lad, walked with my father and captain, note the pensioner's sobriquet, end note, till they parted for work, and I remember very well I heard him tell how, when on march in Portugal, I think that's what he called it, but it's in foreign parts, he saw flocks of birds, he wished he could be after catching them, for he was well tired of soldiering. I was sent to school twice or thrice, and can read a little and write a little, and I should like reading better if I could manage it better. I read a penny number, or the police in a newspaper, now and then, but very seldom. But on a fine day I hated being at school. I wanted to be at work, to make something at bird-catching. If a boy can make money, why shouldn't he? And if I'd had a net, or cage, and a mule of my own, then I thought I could make money. Note, I may observe that the mule longed for by my informant was a cross between two birds, and was wanted for the decoy. Some bird-catchers contend that a mule makes the best call-bird of any, others that the natural note of a linnet, for instance, was more alluring than the song of a mule between a linnet and a goldfinch. One birdman told me that the excellence of a mule was that it had been bred and taught by its master, had never been at large, and was better to manage. It was bolder, too, in a cage, and its notes were often loud and ringing, and might be heard to a considerable distance. End note. I couldn't stick to school, sir, my informant continued, and I don't know why, lest it be that one man's best suited for one business, and another for another. That may be seen every day. I was sent on trial to a shoemaker, and after that to a rope-maker, for father didn't seem to like my growing up and being a bird-catcher like he was. But I never felt well, and I knew I should never be any great hand at them trades, and so when my poor father went off rather sudden, I took to the catching at once, and had all his traps. Perhaps, but I can't say to a niceness, that was eleven year back. Do I like the business, do you say, sir? Well, I'm forced to like it, for I've no other to live by. Note, the reader will have remarked how this man attributed the course he pursued, evidently from natural inclination, to its being the best and most healthful means of subsistence in his power. End note. Last Monday, for my dealers like birds on a Monday or Tuesday best, and then they've the week before them, I went to catch in the fields this side of Barnet, and started before two in the morning, when it was neither light nor dark. You must get to your place before daylight to be ready for the first flight, and have time to lay your net properly. When I'd done that, I lay down and smoked. No, smoke don't scare the birds. I think they're rather drawn to notice anything new, if all's quite quiet. Well, the first pool I had about ninety birds, nearly all linnets. There was, as well as I can remember, three hedge-sparrows among them, and there's always a terrible flutter and row when you make a catch, and often regular fights in the net. I then sorted my birds, and let the hens go, for I didn't want to be bothered with them. I might let such a thing as thirty-five hens go out of rather more than an eighty take, for I've always found, in catching young broods, that I've drawn more cocks than hens. How do I know the difference when the birds are so young? As easy as light from dark. 
you must lift up the wing, quite tender, and you'll find that a cock linnet has black, or nearly black, feathers on his shoulder, where the hens are a deal lighter. Then the cock has a broader and whiter stripe on the wing than the hen has. It's quite easy to distinguish, quite. A cock goldfinch is straighter and more larger in general than a hen, and has a broader white on his wing, as the cock linnet has. He's black round the beak, and the eye too, and a hen's greenish thereabouts. There's some grey pates, note young birds, end note, would deceive anyone until he opens their wings. Well, I went on, sir, until about one o'clock, or a little after, as well as I could tell from the sun, and then came away with about one hundred singing birds. I sold them in the lump to three shopkeepers at two shillings, two shillings tuppence, and two shillings sixpence the dozen. That was a good day, sir, a very lucky day. I got about seventeen shillings, the best I ever did but once, when I made nineteen shillings in a day. Yes, it's hard work is mine, because there's such a long walking home when you've done catching. Oh, when you're at work, it's not work, but almost a pleasure. I've laid for hours, though, without a catch. I smoke to pass the time when I'm watching. Sometimes I read a bit, if I've had anything to take with me to read. Then at other times I thinks. If you don't get a catch for hours, it's only like an angler without a nibble. Oh, I don't know what I think about. About nothing, perhaps. Yes, I've had a friend or two go out catching with me, just for the amusement. They must lie about and wait, as I do. We had a little talk, of course. Well, perhaps about sporting. No, not horse racing. I care nothing for that. But it's hardly business taking any one with you. I supply the dealers and hawk as well. Perhaps I make twelve shillings a week the year through. Some weeks I've made between three pounds and four pounds. And in winter, when there's rain every day, perhaps I haven't cleared a penny in a fortnight. That's the worst of it. But I make more than others, because I have a connection and raise good birds. Sometimes I'm stopped by the farmers when I'm at work, but not often, though there is some of them very obstinate. It's no use, for if a catcher's net has to be taken from one part of a farm, after he's had the trouble of laying it, why, it must be laid in another part. Some country people liked to have their birds catched. My informant supplied shopkeepers, and hawked his birds in the streets and to the houses. He had a connection, he said, and could generally get through them, but he had sometimes put a bird or two in a fancy house. These are the public houses resorted to by the fancy, in some of which may be seen two or three dozen singing birds, for sale on commission, through the agency of the landlord or the waiter. They are the property of hawkers or dealers, and must be good birds, or they will not be admitted. The number of birds caught, and the proportion sold in the streets, I have already stated. The number of bird-catchers, I may repeat, is about the same as that of street-bird-sellers, two hundred. Of the crippled street-bird-sellers From the bird-seller whose portrait will be given in the next number of this work, I have received the following account. The statement previously given, was that of a catcher and street-seller, as are the great majority in the trade. The following narrative is that of one who, from his infirmities, is merely a street-seller. The poor man's deformity may be best understood by describing it in his own words. I have no ankle. His right leg is emaciated, 
the bone is smaller than that of his other leg, which is not deformed, and there is no ankle joint. The joints of his wrists and shoulders are also defective, though not utterly wanting, as in the ankle. In walking, this poor cripple seems to advance by means of a series of jerks. He uses his deformed leg, but must tread, or rather support his body, on the ball of the misformed foot, while he advances his sound leg. Then, with a twist of his body, after he has advanced and stands upon his undeformed leg and foot, he throws forward the crippled part of his frame by the jerk I have spoken of. His arms are usually pressed against his ribs as he walks, and convey to a spectator the notion that he is unable to raise them from that position. This, however, is not the case. He can raise them, not as a sound man does, but with an effort and a contortion of his body to humour the effort. His speech is also defective, his words being brought out, as it were, by jerks. He has to prepare himself, and to throw up his chin in order to converse, and then he speaks with difficulty. His face is sunburnt and healthy-looking. His dress was a fustian coat with full skirts, cloth trousers somewhat patched, and a clean coarse shirt. His right shoe was suited to his deformity, and was strapped with a sort of leather belt round the lower part of the leg. A considerable number of bookstall keepers, as well as costermongers, swag barrowmen, ginger beer and lemonade sellers, orange women, sweet stuff vendors, root sellers, and others, have established their pitches, some of them having stalls with a cover like a roof, from Whitechapel Workhouse to the Mile End Turnpike Gate. Near the gate they are congregated most thickly, and there they are mixed with persons seated on the forms belonging to adjacent innkeepers, which are placed there to allow any one to have his beer and tobacco in the open air. Among these street sellers and beer drinkers is seated the crippled bird seller, generally motionless. His home is near the Jews' burial ground, and is one of the many places which by a misnomer occasioned by the change in the character and appearance of what were the outskirts, are still called pleasant. On seeking him here, I had some little difficulty in finding the house, and asking a string of men who were chopping firewood in an adjoining court for the man I wanted, mentioning his name, though no one knew anything about him. Though when I spoke of his calling, Oh, they said, you want old Billy. I then found Billy at his accustomed pitch, with a very small stock of birds in two large cages on the ground beside him, and he accompanied me to his residence. The room in which we sat had a pile of firewood opposite the door. The iron of the upper part of the door latch being wanting was replaced by a piece of wood, and on the pile sat a tame jackdaw, with the inquisitive and ascant look peculiar to the bird. Above the pile was a large cage containing a jay, a bird seldom sold in the streets now, and a thrush in different compartments. A table, three chairs, and a hamper or two, used in the wood-cutting, completed the furniture. Outside the house were cages containing larks, goldfinches, and a very fine starling, of whose promising abilities the bird-seller's sister had so favourable an opinion that she intended to try and teach it to talk although that was very seldom done now. The following is the statement I obtained from the poor fellow. The man's sister was present at his desire, as he was afraid I could not understand him, owing to the indistinctness of his speech. 
but that was easy enough after a while, with a little patience and attention. "'I was born a cripple, sir,' he said, "'and I shall die one. I was born at Lewisham, but I don't remember living in any place but London. I remember being at Stroud, though, where my father had taken me, and bathed me often in the sea himself, thinking it might do me good. I've heard him say, too, that when I was very young, he took me to almost every hospital in London, but it was of no use. My father and mother were as kind to me and as good parents as could be. He's been dead nineteen years, and my mother died before him. Father was very poor, almost as poor as I am. He worked in a brick field, but work weren't regular. I couldn't walk at all until I was six years old, and I was between nine and ten before I could get up and down stairs by myself. I used to slide down before, as well as I could, and had to be carried up. When I could get about, and went among other boys, I was in great distress, I was teased so. Life was a burden to me, as I've read something about. They used to taunt me by offering to jump me. Note, invite him to a jumping match, end note. And to say, I'll run you a race on one leg. They were bad to me then, and they are now. I've sometimes sat down and cried, but not often. No, sir, I can't say that I ever wished I was dead. I hardly know why I cried. I suppose because I was miserable. I learned to read at a Sunday school, where I went a long time. I like reading. I read the Bible and tracts, nothing else. Never a newspaper. It don't come in my way. And if it did, I shouldn't look at it, for I can't read over well, and it's nothing to me who's king or who's queen. It can never have anything to do with me. It don't take my attention. There'll be no change for me in this world. When I was thirteen, my father put me into the bird trade. He knew a good many catchers. I've been bird-selling in the streets for six and twenty years and more, for I was thirty-nine, the twenty-fourth of last January. Father didn't know what better he could put me to, as I hadn't the right use of my hands or feet, and at first I did very well. I liked the birds, and do still. I used to think at first that they was like me, they was prisoners, and I was a cripple. At first I sold birds in Poplar, and Limehouse, and Blackwall, and was a help to my parents, for I cleared nine shillings or ten shillings every week. But now, oh dear, I don't know where all the money's gone to. I think there's very little left in the country. I've sold larks, linnets, and goldfinches to captains of ships to take to the West Indies. I've sold them, too, to go to Port Phillip. Oh, and almost all those foreign parts. They bring foreign birds here and take back London birds. I don't know anything about foreign birds. I know there's men dressed as sailors going about selling them. They're duffers, I mean the men. There's a neighbour of mine that's very likely never been twenty miles out of London, and when he hawks birds he always dresses like a countryman and duffs that way. When my father died, continued the man, I was completely upset. Everything in the world was upset. I was forced to go into the workhouse, and I was there between four and five months. Oh, I hated it. I'd rather live on a penny loaf a day than be in it again. I've never been near the parish since, though I've often had nothing to eat many a day. I'd rather be lamer than I am, and be oftener called Silly Billy, and that sometimes makes me dreadful wild, than be in the workhouse. It was starvation, but then I know I'm a hearty eater, very hearty. Just now I know I could eat a shilling plate of meat, but for all that I very seldom taste meat. 
I live on bread and butter and tea, sometimes bread without butter. When I have it, I eat a quartern loaf at three meals. It depends upon how I'm off. My health's good. I never feel in any pain now. I did when I first got to walk, in great pain. Beer I often don't taste once in two or three months, and this very hot weather one can't help longing for a drop, when you see people drinking it all sides of you, but they have the use of their limbs. Note, here two little girls and a boy rushed into the room, for they had but to open the door from the outside, and evidently, to tease the poor fellow, loudly demanded a halfpenny bird. When the sister had driven them away, my informant continued, end note. I'm still greatly teased, sir, with children. Yes, and with men, too, both when they're drunk and sober. I think grown persons are the worst. They swear and use bad language to me. I'm sure I don't know why. I know no name they call me by in particular when I'm teased, if it isn't old hypocrite. I can't say why they call me hypocrite. I suppose because they know no better. Yes, I think I'm religious, rather. I would be more so if I had clothes. I get to chapel sometimes. Note, a resident near the bird-seller's pitch, with whom I had some conversation, told me of Billy being sometimes teased in the way described. Some years ago, he believed it was at Limehouse, my informant heard a gentlemanly-looking man, tipsy, damn the street bird-seller for Mr. Hobbler, and bid him go to the mansion-house, or to hell. I asked the cripple about this, but he had no recollection of it, and as he evidently did not understand the allusion to Mr. Hobbler, I was not surprised at his forgetfulness. End note. I like to sit out in the sunshine selling my birds, he said. If it's rainy and I can't go out, because it would be of no use, I mope to death. I stay at home and read a little, or I chop a little firewood, but you may be very sure, sir, it's little I can do that way. I never associate with the neighbours. I never had any pleasure such as going to a fair or like that. I don't remember having ever spent a penny in a place of amusement in my life. Yes, I've often sat all day in the sun, and of course a good deal of thoughts goes through my head. I think, shall I be able to afford myself plenty of bread when I get home? And I think of the next world sometimes, and feel quite sure, quite, that I shan't be a cripple there. Yes, that's a comfort, for this world will never be any good to me. I feel that I shall be a poor starving cripple till the end, perhaps in the workhouse. Other poor men can get married, but not such as me. But I never was in love in my life, never. Note, among the vagrants and beggars, I may observe, there are men more terribly deformed than the bird-seller, who are married or living in concubinage. End note. Yes, sir, he proceeded, I am quite reconciled to my lameness, quite, and have been for years. Oh, no, I never fret about that now, but about starving, perhaps, and the workhouse. Before father died, the parish allowed me a shilling sixpence and a quartern loaf a week, but after he was buried, they'd allow me nothing. They'd only admit me into the house. I hadn't a penny allowed to me when I discharged myself and came out. I hardly know however I did manage to get a start again with the birds. I knew a good many catchers, and they trusted me. Yes, they was all poor men. I did pretty tidy by bits, but only when it was fine weather, until these five years or so, when things got terrible bad, particularly just the two last years with me. Do you think times are likely to mend, sir, with poor people? 
If working men had only money, they'd buy innocent things like birds to amuse them at home. But if they can't get the money, as I've heard them say, when they've been pricing my stock, why, in course they can't spend it. Yes, indeed, said the sister. Trade's very bad. Where my husband and I once earned eighteen shillings at the firewood, and then fifteen shillings, we can't now earn twelve shillings, the two of us, slave as hard as we will. I always dread the winter coming. Though there may be more firewood wanted, there's greater expenses, and it's a terrible time for such as us. I dream sometimes, sir, the cripple resumed, in answer to my question, but not often. I often have more than once dreamed I was starving and dying of hunger. I remember that, for I woke in a tremble. But most dreams is soon forgot. I've never seemed to myself to be a cripple in my dreams. Why, I can't explain how, but I feel as if my limbs was all free-like, so beautiful. I dream most about starving, I think, than about anything else. Perhaps that's when I have to go to sleep hungry. I sleep very well, though, take it all together. If I had only plenty to live upon, there would be nobody happier. I'm happy enough when times is middling with me, only one feels it won't last. I like a joke as well as anybody when times is good, but that's been very seldom lately. It's all small birds I sell in the street now, except at a very odd time. That jackdaw there, sir, he's a very fine bird. I've tamed him myself, and he's as tame as a dog. My sister's a very good hand among birds, and helps me. She once taught a linnet to say, Joey, as plain as you can speak it yourself, sir. I buy birds of different catchers, but haven't money to buy the better kinds, as I have to sell at threepence and fourpence and sixpence mostly. If I had a pound to lay out in a few nice cages and good birds, I think I could do middling, this fine weather particular, for I'm a very good judge of birds, and know how to manage them as well as anybody. Then birds is rather dearer to buy than they was when I was first in the trade. The catchers have to go further, and I'm afeard the birds is getting scarcer, and so there's more time taken up. I buy of several catchers. The last whole day that I was at my pitch, I sold nine birds, and took about three shillings. If I could buy birds ever so cheap, there's always such losses by their dying. I've had three parts of my young linnets die, do what I might, but not often so many. Then if they die, all the food they've had is lost. There goes all for nothing the rape and flaxseed for your linnets, canary, and flax for your goldfinches, chopped eggs for your nightingales, and German paste for your skylarks. I've made my own German paste when I've wanted a sufficient quantity. It's made of pea meal, treacle, hogslard, and moss seed. I sell more goldfinches than anything else. I used to sell a good many sparrows for shooting, but I haven't done anything that way these eight or nine years. It's a fashionable sport still, I hear. I've reared nightingales at Sung Beautiful, and have sold them at four shillings apiece, which was very cheap. They often die when the time for their departure comes. A shopkeeper as supplied such as I've sold would have charged one pound apiece for them. One of my favouritest birds is redpoles, but they're only sold in the season. I think it's one of the most knowingest little birds it is, more knowing than the goldfinch in my opinion. My customers are all working people, all of them. I sell to nobody else. I make four shillings or five shillings. I call five shillings a good week at this time of year, when the weather suits. I lodge with a married sister. Her husband's a wood chopper, and I pay one shilling sixpence a week, which is cheap, 
where no sticks of my own. If I earn four shillings, there's only two shillings sixpence left to live on the week through. In winter, when I can make next to nothing, and must keep my birds, it is terrible. Oh, yes, sir, if you believe me, terrible. Of the Tricks of the Bird Duffers The tricks practised by the bird sellers are frequent and systematic. The other day a man connected with the bird trade had to visit Holloway, the city, and Bermondsey. In Holloway he saw six men, some of whom he recognised, as regular bird catchers and street sellers, offering sham birds. In the city he found twelve, and in Bermondsey six, as well as he could depend upon his memory. These, he thought, did not constitute more than a half of the number now at work as bird duffers, not including the sellers of foreign birds. In the summer, indeed, the duffers are most numerous, for birds are cheapest then, and these tricksters, to economise time, I presume, buy off other catchers any cheap hens suited to their purpose. Some of them, I am told, never catch their birds at all, but purchase them. The greenfinch is the bird on which these men's art is most commonly practised, its light-coloured plumage suiting it to their purpose. I have heard these people styled bird swindlers, but by street traders I heard them called bird duffers, yet there appears to be no very distinctive name for them. They are nearly all men, as is the case in the bird trade generally, although the wives may occasionally assist in the street sale. The means of deception, as regards the greenfinch especially, are from paint. One aim of these artists is to make their finch resemble some curious foreign bird, not often to be sold so cheap, or to be sold at all in this country. They study the birds in the window of the naturalists' shops for this purpose. Sometimes they declare these painted birds are young java sparrows, at one time a fashionable bird, or St. Helena birds or French or Italian finches. They sometimes get five shillings for such a duffing bird. One man has been known to boast that he once got a sovereign. I am told, however, by a bird-catcher who had himself supplied birds to these men for duffing, that they complained of the trade growing worse and worse. It is usually a hen which is painted, for the hen is by far the cheapest purchase, and while the poor thing is being offered for sale by the duffers, she has an unlimited supply of hempseed, without other food, and hempseed beyond a proper quantity is a very strong stimulus. This makes the hen look brisk and bold, but if newly caught, as is usually the case, she will perhaps be found dead next morning. The duffer will object to his bird being handled on account of its timidity. But it is timid only with strangers. When you've had him a week, ma'am, such a bird seller will say, you'll find him as lovesome and tame as can be. One jealous lady, when asked five shillings for a very fine Italian finch, an excellent singer, refused to buy, but offered a deposit of two shillings sixpence, if the man would leave his bird and cage for the trial of the bird's song for two or three days. The duffer agreed, and was bold enough to call on the third day to hear the result. The bird was dead, and after murmuring a little at the lady's mismanagement, and at the loss he had been subjected to, the man brought away his cage. He boasted of this to a dealer's assistant, who mentioned it to me, and expressed his conviction that it was true enough. The paints used for the transformation of native birds into foreign are bought at the colour shops and applied with camel-hair brushes in the usual way. 
when canaries are a bad colour or have grown a paler yellow from age they are re-dyed by the application of a colour sold at the colour shops and known as the queen's yellow blackbirds are dyed a deeper black the grit of a frying pan being used for the purpose the same thing is done to heighten the gloss and blackness of a jackdaw i was told by a man who acknowledged he had duffed a little people like a gay bright colour in the same way the tints of the goldfinch are heightened by the application of paint it is common enough moreover for a man to paint the beaks and legs of the birds it is chiefly the smaller birds which are thus made the means of cheating almost all the duffing birds are hawked if a young hen be passed off for a good singing bird without being painted as a cock in his second singing year she is brisked up with hemp seed is half tipsy in fact and so passed off deceitfully as it is very rarely that even the male birds will sing in the streets this is often a successful ruse the bird appearing so lively a dealer calculated for me from his own knowledge that two thousand small birds were duffed yearly at an average of from two shillings sixpence to three shillings each as yet i have only spoken of the duffing of english birds but similar tricks are practised with the foreign birds in parrot selling there is a good deal of duffing the birds are painted up as i have described in the case of the greenfinches and so on varnish is also used to render the colours brighter the legs and beak are frequently varnished sometimes a spot of red is introduced for as one of these duffers observed to a dealer in english birds the more outlandish you make them look the better is the chance to sell sometimes there is little injury done by this paint and varnish which disappear gradually when the parrot is in the cage of a purchaser but in some instances when the bird picks himself where he has been painted he dies from the deleterious compound of this mortality however there is nothing approaching that among the duffed small birds occasionally the duffers carry really fine cockatoos and so on and if they can obtain admittance into a lady's house to display the beauty of the bird they will pretend to be in possession of smuggled silk and so on made of course for duffing purposes the bird duffers are usually dressed as seamen and sometimes pretend they must sell the bird before the ship sails for a parting spree or to get the poor thing a good home this trade however has from all that i can learn and in the words of an informant seen its best days there are now sometimes six men thus engaged sometimes none and when one of these men is hard up he finds it difficult to start again in a business for which a capital of about a pound is necessary as a cage is wanted generally the duffers buy the very lowest priced birds and have been known to get two pounds ten shillings for what cost but eight shillings but that is a very rare occurrence and the men are very poor and perhaps more dissipated than the generality of street sellers parrot duffing moreover is seldom carried on regularly by any one for he will often duff cigars and other things in preference or perhaps vend really smuggled and good cigars or tobacco Perhaps a hundred and fifty parrots, parroquets, or cockatoos are sold in this way annually, at from fifteen shillings to one pound ten shillings each, but hardly averaging a pound, as a duffer will sell or raffle the bird for a small sum if he cannot dispose of it otherwise. 
of the street sellers of foreign birds. This trade is curious, but far from extensive, as regards street sale. There is, moreover, contrary to what might be expected, a good deal of duffing about it. The duffer in English birds disguises them so that they shall look like foreigners. The duffer in what are unquestionably foreign birds disguises them that they may look more foreign, more Indian than in the Indies. The word duffer, I may mention, appears to be connected with the German dürfen, to want, to be needy, and so to mean literally a needy or indigent man, even as the word peddler has the same origin, being derived from the German bettler and the Dutch bedler, a beggar. The verb dürfen means also to dare, to be so bold as to do, hence to durf or duff, would signify to resort to any impudent trick. The supply of parrots, parroquets, cockatoos, java sparrows, or St. Helena birds is not in the regular way of consignment from a merchant abroad to one in London. The commanders and mates of merchant vessels bring over large quantities, and often enough the seamen are allowed to bring parrots or cockatoos in the homeward-bound ships from the Indies or the African coast, or from other tropical countries, either to beguile the tedium of the voyage, for presents to their friends, or, as in some cases, for sale on their reaching an English port. More, I am assured, although statistics are hardly possible on such a subject, are brought to London, and perhaps by one-third, than to all the other ports of Great Britain collectively. Even on board the vessels of the Royal Navy, the importation of parts used to be allowed as a sort of boon to the seamen. I was told by an old naval officer that once, after a long detention on the west coast of Africa, his ship was ordered home, and, as an acknowledgment of the good behaviour of his men, he permitted them to bring parrots, cockatoos, or any foreign birds, home with them, not limiting the number, but, of course, under the inspection of the petty officers, that there might be no violation of the cleanliness which always distinguishes a vessel of war. Along the African coast, to the southward of Sierra Leone, the men were not allowed to land, both on account of the unhealthiness of the shores and of the surf, which rendered landing highly dangerous, a danger, however, which the seamen would not have scrupled to brave, and recklessly enough, for any impulse of the minute. As if by instinct, however, the natives seemed to know what was wanted, for they came off from the shores in their light canoes, which danced like feathers on the surf, and brought boatloads of birds. These the seamen bought of them, or possessed themselves of in the way of barter. Before the ship took her final departure, however, she was reported as utterly uninhabitable below, from the incessant din and clamour. "'We might as well have a pack of women aboard, sir,' was the ungallant remark of one of the petty officers to his commander. Orders were then given that the parrots and so on should be thinned, so that there might not be such an unceasing noise. This was accordingly done. How many were set at liberty and made for the shore, for the seamen in this instance did not kill them for their skins, as is not unfrequently the case, the commander did not know. He could but conjecture— and he conjectured that something like a thousand were released. And even after that, and after the mortality which takes place among these birds in the course of a long voyage, a very great number were brought to Plymouth. 
of these again a great number were sent or conveyed under the care of the sailors to london when the ship was paid off the same officer endeavoured on this voyage to bring home some very large pineapple which flavoured and most deliciously parts of the ship where she had been a long time at sea but every one of them rotted and had to be thrown overboard he fell into the error captain blank said of having the finest fruit selected for the experiment an error which the bahama merchants had avoided and consequently they succeeded where he failed how the sailors fed the parrots my informant could hardly guess but they brought a number of the very fine birds to england some of them with well-cultivated powers of speech this as i shall show is one of the ways by which the london supply of parrots and so on is obtained but the permission as to the importation of these brightly feathered birds is i understand rarely allowed at present to the seamen in the royal navy the far greater supply indeed more than ninety per cent of the whole of the birds imported is from the merchant service i have already stated on the very best authority the motives which induce merchant seamen to bring over parrots and cockatoos that to bring them over is an inducement to some to engage in an african voyage is shown by the following statement which was made to me in the course of a long inquiry published in my letters in the morning chronicle concerning the condition of the merchant seamen quote, i would never go to that african coast again only i make a pound or two in birds we buy parrots grey parrots chiefly of the natives who come aboard in their canoes we sometimes pay six shillings or seven shillings in africa for a fine bird i have known two hundred parrots on board they make a precious noise but half the birds die before they get to england some captains won't allow parrots when the seamen have settled themselves after landing in england they perhaps find that there is no room in their boarding-houses for their parrots these birds are not admitted into the sailors home the seamen's friends are stocked with the birds and look upon another parrot as but another intruder an unwelcome pensioner there remains but one course to sell the birds and they are generally sold to a highly respectable man mr m samuel of upper east smithfield and it is from him though not always directly that the shopkeepers and street sellers derive their stock in trade there is also a further motive for the disposal of parrots parroquets and cockatoos to a merchant the seafaring owner of those really magnificent birds perhaps squanders his money perhaps he gets skinned stripped of his clothes and money from being hocussed or tempted to helpless drunkenness or he chooses to sell them and he or his boarding-house keeper takes the birds to mr samuel and sells them for what he can get but i heard from three very intelligent seamen whom i met with in the course of my inquiry and by mere chance that mr samuel's price was fair and his money sure considering everything for there is usually a qualification to every praise it is certainly surprising under these circumstances that such numbers of these birds should thus be disposed of parrots are as gladly or more gladly got rid of in any manner in different regions of the continents of asia and america than with us are even rats from a granary dr stanley after speaking of the beauty of a flight of parrots says quote, the husbandman who sees them hastening through the air with loud and impatient screams 
looks upon them with dismay and detestation, knowing that the produce of his labour and industry is in jeopardy when visited by such a voracious multitude of pilferers, who, like the locusts of Egypt, desolate whole tracts of country by their unsparing ravages. End quote. A contrast with the harmlessness in a gilded cage in the house of the wealthy with us. The destructiveness of these birds is then one reason why seamen can obtain them so readily and cheaply, for the natives take pleasure in catching them, while as to plentifulness, the tropical regions teem with bird, as with insect and reptile life. Of parrots, parroquets, and cockatoos, there are three thousand imported to London in the way I have described, and in about equal proportions. They are sold wholesale from five shillings to thirty shillings each. There are now only three men selling these brilliant birds regularly in the streets, and in the fair way of trade, but there are sometimes as many as eighteen so engaged. The price given by a hawker for a cockatoo and so on is eight shillings or ten shillings, and they are retailed at from fifteen shillings to thirty shillings or more, if it can be got. The purchasers are the wealthier classes who can afford to indulge their tastes. Of late years, however, I am told, a parrot or a cockatoo seems to be considered indispensable to an inn, not a gin palace, and the innkeepers have been among the best customers of the street parrot sellers. In the neighbourhood of the docks, and indeed along the whole riverside below London Bridge, it is almost impossible for a street seller to dispose of a parrot to an innkeeper, or indeed to anyone, as they are supplied by the seamen. A parrot which has been taught to talk is worth from four pounds to ten pounds, according to its proficiency in speech. About five hundred of these birds are sold yearly by the street hawkers at an outlay to the public of from five hundred pounds to six hundred pounds. Java sparrows from the East Indies and from the islands of the archipelago are brought to London, but considerable quantities die during the voyage and in this country, for, though hardy enough, not more than one in three survives being taken off the paddy seed. About ten thousand, however, are sold annually in London at one shilling sixpence each, but a very small proportion by street hawking, as the Java sparrows are chiefly in demand for the aviaries of the rich in town and country. In some years not above a hundred may be sold in the streets, in others as many as five hundred. In St. Helena birds, known also as waxbills and redbacks, there is a trade to the same extent, both as regards number and price, but the street sale is perhaps 10% lower. End of section 11